Ladies and gentlemen, it's time! On the mic in top left, the ageless man old enough to have witnessed the miracle on ice. The MOB CBA's biggest fan and weirdly enjoys letting everyone know that his name is spelt with a C, Justin Chevalella! In the top right, the magic ball head of wisdom, Mitch Trubisky expert, and even though he's a director of the station, does his best work in his car on the way home, Grand C! In the bottom right, the Seattle Kraken's voice of the station behind Jacob Cherish spends most of his time screaming at whatever the host says and has been successfully migrated to the talk show of the year, the Kevin Durant of phone booth, Josh Partizan. And lastly, the man, or really the thing, behind it all, the man who said he wanted new guests on each episode and now does it with the same three, the worst takes in the college and research expert on Jerry Rice, Joe Callahan Jr. It's phone booth season three, and we're going for a dynasty. Kick it! Welcome in, welcome all to Phone Booth. We're back in the studio today on a uh, a low-energy Friday, as we were kind of talking about in the in the break. We got the, the normal crew in with us today. Everyone is, I think this is the first time in a while that we've had the full crew in the studio, because I think Josh was gone last week. I think, I've been gone for the last, like, three weeks. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was gone the week prior to that. Didn't, No. Chevy and I were both no, gone. No, week like three prior weeks. to that, Joe decided to uh, sleep in when we, yeah, when we moved our show to Thursday. Because I moved it, and then, and then the week before, before that, that, both we, you and I were gone. We were gone the week before that. I was gone the week before that. I believe you were gone. So, yeah. yeah, I think this is the first episode. Has, has in a the while. Titan Grant ever missed? I don't no, know. I think I have perfect attendance. Perfect attendance. You're the only in, one in phone booth. I'm well, so I'm sorry the- for you. We're we're all we're all here. We also had the Phantom episode uh, last week. For some reason, for those viewers that love to listen on uh, various streaming platforms, for some reason, the or maybe my doing, I don't remember. Um, technology didn't want to work with us, so it's oh, been that's right. It it's worked been normally after a while. the show when Josh went over and pressed. Oh yeah, it worked when I pressed the oh, one. We were all here last week. Were we? Oh yeah. What are we talking about? I was late. Well, for I the was people late. on the people on the street. I was late because I was. Uh, yes, the Phantom with my episode. Everyone was here for. Yes. Well, still a low energy sun, uh, Friday. I almost said Sunday. I don't know why. It kind of feels like a Sunday. Sundays are always low energy. Like you would never know there's a whiteout tomorrow based off no. the energy going around right mm-hmm. now. We'll probably get into that later, but let's get right into speed dial, as we'll we'll run through these these various news points in in uh professional and collegiate sports stop me if you want to talk about any of these topics but if not we'll move right along for them nba's opening day kicked off throughout this week and i, I think it was 
it didn't run into last week, right? The, the it was no, Sunday? it was like two. No, the first game was like Tuesday. Oh, maybe I just caught the end of preseason. Either way, realistically, the only newsworthy thing that came out of opening day was the DeRozan 37, uh, I believe 37, 11, and 8, and he's only the third player to start an opening day such as that. Um, and then Kawhi Leonard made his return off the bench for the Clippers after basically a year and a half, two years of not playing. So welcome back, Kawhi Leonard. Also, um, Paulo Bancaro had quite the debut. He did. He did. I did see that. Um, moving on to Logan the MLB, the, the playoff race is getting... Uh, a little bit heated. We'll get into those later. Uh, Padres and Phillies. Game three is tonight. That series is tied one to one, and the Yankees fall back two games against the Astros. Do you want to mention that at all, Chevy? Or I think we're going to get into that later in the show. I think he wants some. The series going. is over. I will leave this for now and just say it is absolutely pathetic that the New York Yankee franchise is what it is at this state. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the level of teaser. privileged New York fans. Anyway. In the NHL, the season has begun as well. It, it kind of began a little bit before yeah, actually, last I think week's it, episode. Yeah, I was going to say it but began before last week's episode. Yeah, it started last week. I said we would have a long NHL show for Josh because I wanted him to be here for for a full show. Well, um, also, I mean, like we should realistically talk about it. Like it's the I know. Okay. Got it. Okay. Down. We'll get to it. Um, for for things that happened in it, realistically, a lot coming out of Florida. Um. Florida Panthers Aaron Ekblad, I believe it is the pronunciation of that, was placed on the long-term IR, but then they got Eric Stahl uh, joins his brother Mark on the team. Canes legend Eric Stahl, it hurts to see. Really Canucks does. are the only team still without a victory. The Canucks have are also, the, I think, the only team. What's their record? Uh, 0-3-2. and 0-3-2. Oh, yeah. They also I are the only ties. team to have blown a... Li- ties. They're shootout losses. I know. They're or the... Over- OT or shootout losses. They are the only team to start their start their season with five straight like blown leads. Mm. It's absolutely wild. They've blown four two goal leads and they blew a one goal lead last night. It's absolutely it's 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 hilarious, but it's it's pathetic. It's hilariously mm. pathetic. It's really funny. Well, we'll we'll get into more of of the NHL later as, as Josh is here for a full episode. Now, moving into college football before we get into the thing that runs into the daily voicemails of the week. Um, two on-the-field things is Tennessee upset Alabama last Saturday um, and Penn State got blown out by Michigan. But going back to the Tennessee game, their fans took the goalposts out of the stadium, one was found on campus, or a little bit off campus, the other one was taken to the Tennessee River, and they had a GoFundMe throughout the week to try to get the goalposts back, because if they didn't get them for this game, that's noon tomorrow, they would have had to forfeit the game, they got goalposts, so they don't don't need to forfeit their game. I'm just going to quick chime in on that. The president of the university was sitting in the press box smoking a cigar as they were ripped down, he goes... Oh, we don't care. This is awesome. And then the athletic department goes and throws out uh, the need for one hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So Tennessee, you might want to get on. The I thought same. it was five hundred. Wasn't it five hundred? Because I thought it was two fifty each. I thought it was one hundred fifty thousand oh, no. combined. It's, it's that, but then they got fined a, another hundred thousand for the storming of the field because it's their second offense. 
Yeah, well, that was the money. I thought worth it was it. awesome. It was. Oh my god, it was hilarious. Also, the fans that, that were Penn ripping State, off like we never will be able. The fans so. that were ripping off chunks of well, the, uh, the end zone. Maybe if we beat Ohio, people were Ohio just ripping chunks of the chicken I got that. We didn't storm the court for or storm for beating Ohio. Yeah, Penn State fans should have stormed for beating Ohio because they're not beating the. They're not beating. They're not beating Ohio. They're not beating the real Ohio team. Anyway, another two. Unrelated off the field things in college football is two pending lawsuits. One is alleging the NCAA failed to protect a former USC football player from repeated concussions, is nearing trial in a Los Angeles court. Jury seated Thursday. A lot will come out of that, maybe, as concussions have been a big topic of discussion in football for the better half of a decade. Um, and then Alabama is investigating a video in which it appears that wide receiver Jermaine Burton hit a fan after their Tennessee loss. Wouldn't, so it, wouldn't surprise fun. me. Um, well, the video comes out kind of – it doesn't explicitly show it, but it, it – um, it Emotions run high at the end of it. It's still inexcusable, yeah. and the yep. video clearly shows him hitting her. So. Exactly. There's nothing it's inexcusable, though, but I – like – Emotions do run high, and when you're trying to get off the field into your locker room, I bet you that was just not even something he thought about, just happened mm-hmm. to do. And he'll be suspended, I'd assume, for at yeah. least a game, maybe a few more, but mm-hmm. inexcusable. Yep. Um, moving on to lighter notes, or not really if you're a Jets fan. Um, going to the NFL, Elijah Moore requested a trade from the Jets. He has no reason. He to has be no right. Exactly. He's, done it's, he, he's for the them. kid. It's both NFL football teams or NFL uh, New York football teams have um, second year wide receivers. Second year wide. They have second year wide receivers that are really making drama and acting like they're better than they are. Maybe they should swap them. Elijah Moore for Kenny Galladay, one for uh, one. Oh, I was talking about Kadarius Tony Kadarius Tony isn't starting problems. Kadarius Tony starting problems. Have you not seen everything about him? No, he is not kind at of all. a he's a problem guy. He's a problem guy. But, he, he but, to but go at to the same time, he's also a good. Football, he's also he was, he was he, at least at the beginning of the season when they weren't like putting him on the field, he was fine with it because we were winning. It's more of his character. He was kind of a, he's a very outlandish dude. And and they knew that coming in. They knew that coming in. Yeah, true. I guess so. Either way, as 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 Justin looks that up for us. Other news points is Dak Prescott was stopped for the Cowboys against the Lions this week. He's finally back from his injury, and after Cooper Rush throws three interceptions, you're looking for him to be back. Well, I mean, he was going to start. I mean, yeah. Cooper Rush could have thrown seven touchdowns against the Eagles, and he still wouldn't be starting this next week. This doesn't change a thing for Dallas, by the way. It doesn't change anything for Dallas. You guys don't think so at no. all? No, See, they're still bad. No, I think actually if – one thing before you go. Good. I think the only change it will make is that McCarthy's going to want to try to run the offense through Dak Prescott more than the running game, even more so than he already does, even though Tony Pollard's RB1 and should be getting more carries per game. So I think they're just going to throw more with Dak, and it's not going to end well. Mm-hmm. That's funny you say that. That's quite literally exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, so Kellen Moore. So I guess it does change things. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. See, Kellen Moore, I think this is the point of the season where Dallas either – makes a statement, and they go flying into the postseason, red hot. And then, of course, I mean, disappointment will come eventually. Or the disappointment comes right now. Kellen Moore gets a little too excited that his quarterback one is back in town. And, you know, they, they try to throw the ball around the yard, get Dalton Schultz involved again, get CeeDee Lamb involved. 
Cooper, Don't I mean, um, Michael Gallup is now back healthy completely. So this is a real test for Kellen Moore, who I've always been skeptical of. I know that he was getting some head coach looks last offseason, and I'm sure all those teams are probably pretty glad that they didn't get a guy like him, especially the Dolphins, who were most involved with him. Now look who they got. Mike mm-hmm. McDaniel has been awesome. So this is a real test for Kellen Moore. He needs to stay true to that running game and then let that open up the passing game with Dak. Your identity doesn't change just because you have a multi-million dollar quarterback coming back under center. You won games with Cooper Rush, and Cooper Rush is far from anything that Dallas has had at the quarterback position for years. I mean, he's not talented. He just did his job. He kept the ball under control. He didn't turn the ball over, and that's how they won games. They won by handing the ball off Mm -hmm. and letting the run set up the pass. Now with Dak, you can't get too excited that he's back. Your identity doesn't change. Yeah, and that was the identity coming in to Dak and Zeke's tenure with the Cowboys after Dak took over Tony Romo's job. The reason why they had so much success that season was because they were running through the run. And then once you kind of saw that Dak Prescott was a little bit more than just a game manager, you kind of tried to run through him, and then you had those seasons where you turned out Yes, Dak Prescott is better than a game manager, but he's also not that guy that will single-handedly win you games. So, I agree. I do think that he gets way too much slack than what's deserved. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he is last year for Dallas, he'd single-handedly won a handful of games. But mm-hmm. now that they've got a good defense behind him, your rushing attack has been solid with Pollard and Zeke. Even though, like you said, Chevy. Pollard has definitely been more effective, but you got to use him hand in hand. Yeah. We've seen what happens when Pollard gets starts, and it's not the same production than when he comes in as kind of a uh, a lightning to Zeke's thunder. Mm-hmm. So, I, like I've been saying, you can't stray away from your identity because this is what the Dallas Cowboys have been for years mm-hmm. and years. Either way, moving on to another note before we get into the, the, the meat of today's show, uh, Kenny Pickett. Cleared concussion protocol, and it does look like Tua Tungavailoa has also cleared his concussion protocol. So both of them will be Tua shouldn't be playing football for Miami. Yeah. Well, well, probably well, at all, but I don't know. probably at all, but specifically yeah. for he Miami. did come out personally after it was speculated that the first injury was his back, and everyone kind of like said whatever. He came out and he personally said it was his back. Now, mm. I, I, I mean. I've talked to I, I've talked to a a researcher here at the school that said that like it could be a systemic injury, but it could also be a first concussion. He said his first one was the second one. Whatever he's going to say, I don't think we're gonna know unless if they come out with the documents that say so. And I don't think that they're ever going to put those out. Maybe if it is true, we'll we'll get to see them. But I, I think if we don't see them. It tells me more that the first one was a concussion because then they're trying to hide it. Unless if they come out with the first one and his assessments and his charts and it says concussion, no, back injury, yes, I don't think we're ever going to know. They don't have to release it because it's HIPAA laws and you cannot release someone else's medical situation, so it's going to be up to him and he's not going to release it. He's not going to release it. We're not going to see it. There's no reason to either. At the end of it, whatever it was, it was mismanaged. And Tua is mm-hmm. lucky. The second he gets hit, the best way to put it. The second he gets yep. hit this weekend, I'm gonna be. Especially if there's like a whiplash. Well, that's the thing. Well, it's also. I mean, and look, I think it. Well, 
Best case, well, good news for the Dolphins that the Steelers' pass rush has been absolutely non-existent mm-hmm. since T.J. Watt is out for a couple more weeks. So they didn't play that against the Bucks. Yeah, they didn't play bad, but the Bucks also don't look good at all, True. which is a whole nother. Tom Brady story. for the first time ever looks like he's old. That's a that's a yeah. We, we can really... we can we we can debate that yeah if we want to go into it. I think now we're gonna move into the the last speed dial, and I might actually kind of move it into Please daily voicemails after the tone. because the big meat and potatoes of this week came last night thought it was a joke if i'm gonna be completely and utterly honest with you hey i broke the news to uh you did he broke the news to the big Mm -hmm. group jet yep adam schefter broke it to me but chef bomb christian mccaffrey was it was said to be on the trade block by carolina we talked about on this show that they might be blowing up their entire roster after they got rid of robbie anderson sent him over to arizona after marquise brown went down they sent Christian McCaffrey, their franchise player, off to San Francisco, and they didn't even get a first-round pick for him. I don't—I I mean, to start here, first off, I understand that it was a lot of picks. Uh, I mean, a, I think it was a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth, or was yeah, it two? It was a second, third, fourth, and fifth. I'm going to be—like—and he is—he's—I mean, he's not young. He's not old either, but it just looks to me like, and and I I hate using injury prone because I hate I hate the term, but it is it is a fact. The guy's injury prone. He's a little bit older, but to not get a first round pick for that guy makes a hundred percent sense. Yeah, we I don't can debate about that. I don't that. think it does. We can debate. I I've got to go with Chevy here. This is not a league that goes through running backs. I now look. I hate the fact that a guy like Christian McCaffrey can't go for a first-round pick because you see the value of elite running backs around the league. Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb, Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, even though Taylor's been hurt this year. You know their value. And these are guys that can single-handedly win you football games. McCaffrey being probably the greatest multifaceted back in the league right now just because of how much he can do. He can line up out of the backfield. He can be a power runner. He can run between tackles. He can do whatever you need him to do. But the thing is here, this is a league. It's a passing league. That's just the identity of the NFL right now as it is. So you were never going to get a first-round pick out of McCaffrey. There's no running back in football that would go for a first-round pick if McCaffrey can't go for a first. And I will stand by that. But what the Panthers got in return, I think, is absolutely the best-case scenario. You had to make up some picks because you were already missing some picks. And at this point, to get a second, third, and a fourth, and then a fourth the next year, that's a lot of value for a guy who, like Joe said, has definitely had his injury concerns, but for a running back. And if you're a team looking to rebuild now, you need to get as many picks as possible, even if it means letting go some premier guys. Because what is McCaffrey going to do for your team if you don't have the quarterback position solidified? You don't have an offensive line. Your defense has been disappointing, and now you have a new head coach concern. So for the Panthers, I think this was something that had to happen, even though Panthers fans didn't like for it to happen. Here's here's the problem I have with, with that argument. I do understand that 
the league isn't going through the running back position. And I understand the value that that has when talking about these negotiations. And I was going to bring a number into this um, into this discussion, but I, I, I want to run through in my mind the ones that I would say. I think there's a select few running backs that does definitely deserve a first-round overall pick value because realistically the second and third is really – like if, if you're talking about – going for a running back, and you want to trade Josh Jacobs, okay, and you're giving me a second, a third, and a fourth, I think that's good value. That's way too much for Josh Jacobs. I don't think so. Well, actually, for Josh Jacobs, yes. But what what I'm saying is is of that caliber, a second, a third, and a fourth makes at least sense in the the rounds, right? Well, I think there's a few running backs that deserve 100% a first-round pick, and it's because of what they are. And, it, and realistically, it's because of you have franchises that the quarterback is the team, and the team will go as far as the, the quarterback, quarterback will take them. The, the quarterback is the team for every franchise. You're not going to be good without not, a good quarterback. Not, not for some of them. Carolina with McCaffrey is not but, one of them. But notice, but notice with how the Giants but here's is not the thing. one of them. Notice how ever since the Panthers haven't had a quarterback, they've yet to make the playoffs. After Cam Newton left, ever since the Giants lost Eli Manning, they've yet to make the playoffs. Every ever since, even the 49ers, like yeah, Debo Samuel kind of plays running back, and they'll have Christian McCaffrey now. But we know Jimmy Garoppolo is not that good of a or he's a decent quarterback. He's a game manager. He's not going to lead you to a Super Bowl. Like the quarterback is the most valuable position in the NFL. And I, I mean, look, Christian McCaffrey is a guy that realistically, if anyone's going to get a first round pick, it would have been him. And I think the Panthers were all they also kind of had their. Panthers had their hands tied in this situation. Everyone knew that they were shopping Christian McCaffrey. They knew that he wasn't going to stay for more than another year or two. He's 26. He's severely injury prone. He's missed more games in the past three years than he's played in, which is a huge problem. But that also tells you why they haven't made the playoffs in recent years. Right, but it's also because a lot well, of it has more to do with itself. him being injured than him being on the team and them not having a quarterback. Yeah, but even if he was on the field for those years, the Panthers were not going to make the playoffs with Sam Darnold and Fair. who even who even was their quarterback right after? Wasn't it? When did it? Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater. They yeah, were not going to make the playoffs Teddy. with Teddy Bridgewater and an injured Christian McCaffrey. And that's the main thing. If he wasn't injury prone and he, and if he hadn't missed over twenty games in his career, yeah, he'd probably go yeah. for a first round pick. But he hasn't played a full season that's in God fair. knows how long. I'll and take that's, that argument. That's the main issue and. My- my thing was was Christian McCaffrey, to me, if you're talking about value in their skill, that would be oh, that top would, to me merit a first round pick. Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, and I'm gonna be honest, I don't even know if Derrick Henry would go for a first round pick anymore. There's a name that I'm missing. I don't think any, well, none of them are going to now. Like I of said, McCaffrey. I don't think any running back. I mean, this yeah, no, this sets the market. I was going to say Alvin Kamara, like but, but, all, but also there's, there's really a lot of teams that yet. even they even have these premier running backs, but they still do a running back by committee backfield because you have a oh, entire yeah. depth chart of running backs that it can feels, realistically get the well, job done. Like the only running back that he listed that doesn't really sit in a committee is Barkley. Is Barkley? That's because well, that's also because the Giants. Henry doesn't. Who's the committee in, in Tennessee? Henry's also he injury works along prone, with, um, oh, what's his name? Dontre Hilliard. Oh, Jonathan Taylor Nick. was the back that I was thinking and he said of. Jonathan Taylor has now he's been hurt. I'd love to Taylor get a word in here if that's all right. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. You should do that more often. <laughs> yeah, well, I like the trade for the Panthers, and I agree with Grant in the fact that 
Christian McCaffrey nor any running back deserves the uh, first round pick. And I think getting you got four draft picks back. And for GM Scott Fitter of the Panthers, his drafting hasn't been awful. J.C. Horn looked promising. Brady Christensen was looking like one of the best on the team a year ago. Tommy Tremble, Chubba uh, Hubbard. Uh, and then you go to this year, you're not sure how um, Akonwu or Matt Corral are going to look or any of the other draft picks. It's too early to tell yet there. But for Fitterer, he just got four draft picks to work with rather than working with a 26-year-old running back who when you're entering a rebuild, there's no point in having on your roster because he's by the time your rebuild ends, he's going to be done with his career. Maybe not done with his career, but towards the backside because he's already 26. Running backs don't last that long. And I think San Francisco, I think the move makes San Francisco a more well-balanced team. Obviously, their running game has been injured this season and Jimmy Garoppolo's their quarterback again. But I think for San Francisco, this is a good trade because they didn't have to give up a first round. I'm not sure they have a first round to give up. I they think don't they have do. much. They don't have much don't anymore. Sure. Also, the Rams were the second team in the trade. Sorry for cutting you off, but the, the, they were in talk with the Rams, too. They realized that their window of opportunity in San Francisco is not too large. I get that Trey Lance is young. Nick Bosa's young. But a lot but of their Trey talent— Lance looked bad He looked he bad. Got hurt. He looked really yeah. bad. But— um, you know, a lot of their talent is on the older side, and you they're realizing that to win, they're going to need to win now. So these draft picks don't matter. They do matter. Um, but for San Francisco, I think it made the sense to get rid of the four draft picks, and I think for Carolina, that might be one of the best packages they're getting. Second and third rounders are almost surefire to make your team and produce kind of early on in their careers. Fourth rounder, that's where you start um, – teetering on the brink of making uh, an impact immediately. and So I think it all comes down to how Fitterer ends up drafting with these picks, and that's easy enough to say. It's like, oh, yeah, it's basically being um, traded for players to be named later like they do in It's like Magic Beans almost. So, here's, here's what I question because I, it feels like I'm the only one on this side of the I'm argument. glad you're questioning stuff when I'm not done talking. I'd love to see it. So, um, for I didn't know you were not done. I was mid-sentence. He was mid-sentence. Okay. I just so said Magic So Fitter's beans. been there now for over a year. He's drafted two draft classes. He's not going anywhere. Now he gets a new coach to work with. You have not only a new head coach that you're going to bring in in the offseason, you're also going to have four draft picks plus whatever else you end up trading away because looks like Robbie Anderson's going to be on his way out, some of their other talent. So Fitter, this is a make-or-break situation for him. With these draft picks, he has to start hitting or else he's going to be out soon. And that would not be good for Carolina because just like Carolina, if he ends up leaving after hiring a head coach, he goes into a situation just like the New York Giants were, where they got rid of their GM, didn't get rid of their coach, then they got rid of their coach, and then they had the same GM, and then it all came down to what they were going to do this year. So Fitterer has to hit on some of these draft picks, and I think he's – I mean, his reputation doesn't look too bad, but I know it's early, but it doesn't look too bad. So I think – all around, Christian McCaffrey, one, did not deserve a first-round pick in return, and two, it's the best of both worlds. Each team wins. It's a win-win trade. Unless Christian McCaffrey's injuries come back again this season and then he just gets... And then it makes it a better trade Then it makes the it a better trade for the Panthers. I mean, they're in full rebuild mode. They've The white flag's That's up why there. it doesn't matter. Like, a first-round pick would be nice, but 
No team was going to give up a first-round pick. And also, realistically, a first-round pick if the 49ers end up going deep into the playoffs, which they could with Christian McCaffrey, ends up becoming, you know, essentially a second-round pick. And so it's not it's not terrible. I, I mean, I, I will say I do think if there is anyone, I'm partially on Joe's argument in the side that if there's anyone that would get a first-round pick from the running back position, Christian McCaffrey is one of those guys. But, I mean, look, you got, what, what was it, four draft picks? And three of them are this year in a deep draft class. I, I don't think you can be too mad about that. I think my issue is, and I want kind of kind of your insight on it. If if say say we throw injuries out, right? How long do you think Christian McCaffrey can still produce at the level he is? Probably another four or five so years. You're saying out throw um, injuries out the window. Throw past or throw any other injuries out. Or throw all of his. Well, you can't throw all of his injury history. No, out, no, no, so. no, 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 no. Because yeah. they're going to catch up. Like, to him. are you saying like, like he if he be, doesn't get injured, he'd be injury free like, for like the a rest career, of his career ending injury? How long do you think that he could be Christian McCaffrey as we know him? Three to five years, tops. a year and a half. Really? Yeah. Wow. I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one. I mean, because I'd my, say Ray Max the only thing taper off at like twenty nine. The only thing that I've got he's got going for him is he now is behind a a lot better offensive yeah. line and improved and a crazy run scheme and a crazy run scheme so that might help him but i still see a year and a half two years max here's the reason why i'm i'm still. arguing for the first overall pick i mean first overall first round first pick overall. my thing is that if you think because i'm under i'm under the same thinking as josh is that he's going to be christian mccaffrey as we know him for the next three to five years the average Average for all players. Now you get people like Tay Crowder, who's drafted last overall in his draft and still is a starter four or five years later. You get players like that that can produce at that level. But when we're talking about the average lifespan of a career in the NFL, it's three to four years. And if you're putting up a trade for a franchise player in a rebuild, especially at the level that Christian McCaffrey is at, I want to at least break even. I want to make a trade that at least I don't want to dump him off. If he, it, like In situations where you have to dump off, it's either an old guy that's still producing at a somewhat high level, but he's not going to sustain it because he's 28, 29, 30, or I mean, it's a player that a requests a trade and he's disgruntled with the team and he's a character issue and blah, 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 blah. I at least want to break even. And a second-round pick that could be a starter that could produce well on the, on, on the team but probably isn't going to be the team starter, I mean the team's main guy. A third round that's basically a toss-up. And two fourth-rounders that could be out of the league in two to three years isn't meriting me to then get but Christian McCaffrey out the door and me take that. I don't think that that's the... Now, it, and also, I can't tell the future, so I don't know if he's going to have... Can it stints where he's going to play well this year and then next year have like a Todd Gurley type fall down? I'm, well then, I'm not well going to predict that. Then leave it. At, well, then we leave it at that then because realistically, because he wasn't traded for any player that's in the league currently, you can't grade this trade until you can't grade this trade until at least three to five years down the road okay. when he supposedly is going to taper off and when these guys at the Panthers draft will eventually come into the league and will have made their rounds. You're not going to know. Even if they got a first-round pick from the 49ers, it's like I said before, the 49ers with Christian McCaffrey are Super Bowl. They were for, they were Super Bowl contenders beforehand. The Super Bowl contenders even more so now. You don't want a the th- like a first-round pick if it's the 30th or 31st overall pick doesn't 
is not that much different from an early second round pick. It really isn't that. There's not a huge drop off in that or a huge difference. And so I don't think it's that bad. And then you also have to remember that, you know, Debo Samuel also plays in the backfield a lot. And Jeff Wilson Jr. is still not a terrible running back. So McCaffrey's not going to be out there all the time. But again, this is one of those things where you're going to have to wait and see. Like, we can't, I mean, we can sit here and debate it forever, but we should probably move on at some point. Um, yeah, but. I mean, we can't, we can't grade this until at least another two, three years down the road. It's one of those things where it's going to take a long time to see who really wins this trade. That's usually the case with a lot of superstar trades, though. I mean, Yeah, because it's a lot of draft picks, a lot of unknowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, again, I could take that argument, and we have to grade it when— Excuse me, everything's If the show is somehow done. still around in three to five years, even though we'll all be gone, then they can grade the show. Sure. Or they can grade the trade. Or we can, we can grade it on wherever we end up— in the uh, that's too far the down the road. The future scares me. Let's move on to base. Well, do you want to do? Do you want to do your Yankees right now or later, Shay? Well, I mean, I was going I to go like into you, Thursday. I feel like you yeah. haven't talked about uh, hockey much, so let's go to hockey. We'll do hockey. All I mean, right, th- well, the Thursday night football game. The the, the Cardinals happened. won. The Cardinals won. Cardinals won. <laughs> it was the most. It was the highest scoring Thursday night football game we've had all season, and that's. I'm so happy that DeAndre was, Hopkins is back. Yeah, yeah you're your offensive player of the year. You wait, said was he back? Because I don't. Yeah. I thought I don't Tyler think I saw him much on the field. He had ten catches. Yeah, yeah, did he, he actually? He had ten yards, catches yeah. for I, 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 I did not watch <laughs> the game, but I did not see anything about him being back. So that's fair. I will. You know, what? I'll chalk up the L on that one. That's on me. Is it time to talk a little slotty puck? I think so. Finally, before we talk about some the Cardinals, eh, I mean they won we, a game. Before we talk game. about they some won. ball on. Our, our studio audience is a Sage fan. Some ball and well, we're gonna say slidey puck. Baseball can't just be baseball. A uh, little, little, little wax stick. Wax stick. Wax stick. Wax slidey puck and wax stick. Um, close. So, what exactly do we want to talk? Do we want to talk about some really, you know, <laughs> some surprises? Because there's a few surprises already so far in Let's the uh, in the NHL. Uh, number one, Philadelphia is three and one, which is hilarious. Considering the fact that they were, they only had 25 wins last year, did virtually nothing to improve the team, missed out on the Johnny Gaudreau sweepstakes, and are now tied for third in the Metropolitan Division. That is hilarious. Metro is going to be a problem this year. The Metro is a huge problem, and that's, I mean, if we want to talk about it, that, is why I think that Washington right now is in a terrible spot because for a team that supposedly is supposed to be a top three contender, even though it's early in the season. If Philly and the Islanders are going to play as well as they are, and if Pittsburgh is going to continue to look like the best team in the league right now, because that's what they look like, I don't know if Washington makes the playoffs, which is shocking. I like, I like that team that you mentioned, the Islanders. They are playing well. Debatable. Well, they, they lost, lost to New Jersey last night. Last night, but um, that's seven to one. That was haven't looked horrible. Their offense is looking much improved good, under no, Lane no. Lambert. Yeah. Um. Lane Lambert's playing some of the younger guys, letting them actually, you know, have chances, not, not taking them off for one mistake, there. not putting Chara Green out there and the Islanders. I mean, they look to be playing a little bit better. I haven't been able to sit down and watch too much of their games so far, but I feel like they've been able to pass a little bit better, connect on those passes, and obviously find the back of the net, which they did. They were able to win 7-1 the other night. So I think the most interesting... Disappoint. I think the most surprising thing. I mean, yes, Philly actually winning games is surprising. I re- realistically, they would. I thought they'd be win like twenty games ish. But Tampa's one. Tampa is last in the Atlantic. They're one in three. 
They won back-to-back Stanley Cups, almost made a three-peat last year, lost to Colorado, and now they sit, and now they find themselves. Um, and Buffalo, a team that you, Chevy, said could surprise a lot of people, are second in the Atlantic. Hey, so Owen Powers just bring the power to the team. He had so. two assists last night. He looked very solid. He's doing he's doing well. Uh, the Sabers in general are doing well, as you said. They're three and one, second in the Atlantic behind Boston. Who I'm actually a little surprised at how well Boston has started so far. This I am season too, as considering well. how old they are and considering that there are a lot and of unknowns. They've got some injuries. I know Charlie McAvoy, who I was going to pick as a breakout player this year, hurt his shoulder. He's out at least I think two months, possibly three. But, yeah, I mean, and we mentioned Aaron Eckblad and the Florida Panthers and whatnot, but. If we want to get something, because I know, I know, Joe, you're not the biggest hockey guy. If we want, we can get, we can get a non-hockey guy's opinion on the uh, the reverse retro jerseys for all 32 teams were just announced yesterday. Um, I feel like we could go through and talk about our favorites, our least favorites. If you know, we want to make that our NHL talk. I mean, we can. I was it, just it gonna, you, I was it gives, you, talk it gives about... you something. It gives you something to do. All right, you don't have to act like I'm like. Joe, the Special. last time we talked about ho- Joe, the last time we talked about hockey, you had to look up Sidney Crosby. <laughs> That's not I can't laugh. I look up. I had to look up. Which Gerdo? What was Gaudreau? Johnny Gaudreau. So. I'm pretty sure that that was a guy I had to look up. I know who Sidney Crosby was. I'm so um, glad you did. My thing, my thing, and you guys could kind of see is something that I've seen: the scoring. There, there's been a lot earlier. Like I'm looking at these games, and it's like the the. I mean, obviously, it's the winning team. In like blowouts, but I'm looking at scores like four to uh, six to two, four to three, seven to one, and it, there's it's, been a huge drop off in goaltending this year, yeah. which so far, which I mean, I don't know if it's more so that the younger players are just that good, or if goaltending is just that bad. I mean, Mark Andre, I think fl- it's a little bit of rust. It could be. A I little feel bit like of there's rust. always this a little bit at the beginning of the season. I don't think it's ever been this bad. I, I'd like to say maybe the pucks are juiced. Okay, <laughs> okay, right, Manfred. Okay. Um, nah, but like I feel like it's always a little bit like this at the beginning of the year. The goalie's got to find their ways in the crease. Um, but it has. You're definitely right, Joe. It's been a little bit. Um, it's been it's been a lot. There's I mean, you been, look at some teams. The Kings are already at 21 goals scored through six games, so that's an average of over three. Bruin, Bruin Bruins have 20, 20, 20 and three. four. Or twenty three and five, excuse me. That's insane. So I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. The scoring's definitely been up there. It almost feels like, I don't know, there's a difference. But you're seeing, you're we just talked more- about how competitive some of these divisions could be, and now I feel like I want to say because of the scoring, like when we see in these games of the blowouts, it almost feels like there's big differences between these teams. I think that I think for a lot of them are, and I mean, again, it's very early in this. In the season, I mean, obviously each team is still getting their footing. Um, but the main thing that I'm—do you mean skating by chance? Their footing. They're they're still getting their they're getting their skates under them. There we go. Yeah, yeah. That's a better one. Still but sharpening the skates. They're still sharpening the skates. It is. I think it's also a little bit of you know we're seeing we're seeing a lot of young talent come into the league this year, and we're seeing a lot of these guys that, you know. We're like 21, 22, coming into like their third or fourth year, are finally starting to find their rhythm with their teams. And it's one of those things for the lost sports where, you know, it's a new generation, it's a new era of hockey. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here a little bit with a lot of high scoring. I personally love high scoring affairs. I'm not a guy that really likes watching like a one nothing mm-hmm. shootout win. 
It is better. I go both ways because I don't I, like it, it blowouts. Depends. I do like the high scoring at times because it's fun and exciting. But I also like the blowouts become boring. But the close games, especially when they're – I mean, you look at where most close games happen, which is the playoffs. One shot could change everything. So you're dialed in to every single shot, every single pass. And I find that from time to time – it's just like baseball. I always find the one nothing shutout where the pitcher goes eight innings – you know, I find those ones, or nine, which just never happens anymore. You know, I find those close games where one mistake could end it sometimes more interesting because you're locked into every um, shot, pass, pitch, whatever the sport is. I feel like it's a difference with hockey, though, because hockey, yeah. it's 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 sort of like because baseball has a lot of time where nothing's happening, and I think that that was a lot of. The issue where it you were talking about tension, though, in baseball. baseball dying, it does. But I think in more or less, if I was if I was watching a, a hockey game, right, and and I'm sitting there and I, and I'm kind of evaluating what's happening. At least there's constant offense with constant back and forth, and and it's it's you know up and down That's the ice all the time, sport. and it's it's. You're 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 following the puck everywhere, and you're, you're you're trying to like sometimes you lose it and you have to find it, and that's kind of brings up like the excitement is like oh where is it oh that dude just got checked into the wall. In baseball, when you have those one to nothings or zero zeros going into the seventh inning, at some point it's like when it's close in the fifth, and then you start to see offense go back. Like if you get a game where it's a lot of singles and it's a lot of doubles, but nothing's really putting into offense it's sort of frustrating but at least you're getting that excitement if if you're getting to a game where a pitcher's getting into the eighth inning a lot of the time it's just non-existent offense and credit I mean credit to the defense but defensive games in the MLB are are inherently less exciting than defensive well, games I mean unless in the NHL. well when you get to the playoffs, I personally like games that are like one-one going into yeah, the ninth exactly. inning. I mean, it just it goes to show it, it, yeah. teams that are clean, coached right, because you can't you can't really get angry at a pitcher's duel because it's just it's almost it's an art. Pitching is an art, and when a pitcher goes out and does their job for seven plus innings, gets it done, and you leave the game, you know, one run allowed, two runs allowed in a playoff game. It's just that excitement where, like, kind of like Chevy was saying, any small little mistake can absolutely do it for a team, especially in the postseason. And we've seen it over and over and over again. But, I mean, not to change topics, this baseball season has been, or this postseason has been so strange. What is it, like 30% strikeout mm-hmm. rate right now for hitters? It's wild. It's unbelievable. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. And that's the just- first time that I've seen, like, not really I've seen, but in a long time. We're having massive media coverage of baseball because a lot of the times it gets gets a lot drowned out when, you know, now you have the NHL starting up, NFL's in mid-season swing, so you're getting close to the trade deadline. You're getting NBA starting up and the drama that the team that they love to talk about, which won't be named on this show until they do something. Um, So never. Just pretty much. Why do we keep alluding Um, to them, though? Because Joe loves the Lakers. Oh, I said the name. I'm sorry, guys. I'm not a fan of them. No. I will say I think— I'm a fan of one player. I think one of the reasons that um, the MLB has been so exciting this postseason is that we're seeing— I mean, yeah, okay, yeah, in the the ALCS, it's the Astros and Yankees. It's kind of cool, though, because you have 
a rematch from 2017, if I remember correctly? Multiple times. If now, mm-hmm. I think this is the th- their second time, third time, excuse me, they fo- faced off. I believe it was. But were they all in the ALCS? Yeah. 17, mm-hmm. 19, and now 22. Was 19 the Altuve home run? No, 17 was. Um, well, there was an Altuve home run in both. <laughs> Well, the one, okay, the one that sent the Astros to the World Series, that was 2017, That yes? was 19, mm-hmm. I believe. Was it really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so That this, was the more recent of the two. That was more recent. Okay, so... Because Aroldis Chapman sat there smiling on the mound. That's right. So this, it's a rematch of 2019 where, you know, the, uh... The Yankees would be like, oh, we're going to revenge, whatever. So you have, like... Yeah, look how that's yeah, working. Yeah, it's it. working so well. But you have, you know, kind of like a mini rivalry on one hand. In the ALCS, but then the NLCS, you have two teams that realistically don't make it this far. You have the Phillies and the Padres. The Padres, mm-hmm. is this the first time they've ever made the NLCS or no? No, they won the World Series. They won the saying. World Series years ago. But this yeah. is the first time in a long time the Padres have been this far, and they've been doing it quietly. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one's really talking about them. They upset the Dodgers. Uh, the, everyone's talking about the Phillies, the Fightings. Yeah, right, they haven't about the won fightings. the World Series. They've been there twice, though. They've been there twice. I mean, this is a Padres team that doing it without Tatis Jr. because, you know, he's dealing with his ringworm roids. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and Juan Soto's been kind of non-existent, has actually been really terrible defensively, specifically mm-hmm. in Game 2. He was really bad. Well, we talked on this show that they were a serious contender before they got Soto, and now that they have Soto, we were calling them the Warriors of Baseball. Yeah, but that was also but that was also when we thought that Tatis was true, not that's going fair. to be doing what he's doing. And Joe Musgrove is now pitching at an at an unworldly I'm telling level. You, they just got to add an extra O to his last name and make it mm-hmm. Musgrove because he's in that groove right now. Okay, Mister Pun guy. <laughs> but the NLCS has been so fun to watch because it's two teams that you know historically don't make it this far, and these are two teams that are you know. Not necessarily comebacks. Not I mean, these are two underdog stories essentially because the Padres have always been the little brother to the Dodgers, and they finally beat that. And the Phillies were a team that looked like they were going to miss the playoffs again, and then had a remarkable second half of their season, and are now in the NLCS and are a few win- are three games away from the World Series. And then on the other hand, you have a heated rivalry between two you know teams, two of the most hated franchises by all of the MLB. No offense, Chevy, but. Everyone hates the Yankees and everyone hates the Astros. It's a matter of who do you hate more well, or who do you me, hate less that you're rooting for. Let me ask you guys a question since it looks like we're changing the topic. Seamless to transition. I like it. Seamless My transition. Thing I like is, it. Is, is obviously we, we kind of – I mean, we don't – and and sorry, I, I am I am one of them. I, I, I joined with you, Justin, but sorry. I, I think it's obvious who's winning that series. Um, I went on my Yankee-related talk show today. By the way, Bomber Boys, noon on com radio on Fridays. I went on that today and said that the Astros were winning this series mm-hmm. in four. So you don't need to yeah. apologize or anything. Mm-hmm. I realize that the season's over, and I realize how pathetic it is in terms of Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman. I'd, here's here's the thing. I love you that you said that because here's the thing that I love about New York fans is that we're saying it's pathetic. To make well, it, it this is. far. Here we go. Well, <laughs> like, like well, just, Joe, just Joe, sit back Joe, and, and Joe, as Joe, an unbiased Joe, Joe, guy. Joe, this is a team that spends a lot of money every yeah, year. But the, they're, they, they're one of those teams that's supposed to make it to the World Series every single year. That's what they've been known for. They're the Yankees. They're the most storied franchise in all of baseball. And you have a historic season from Aaron Judge that we've never seen, we haven't seen the likes of in decades. 
you have you think that you finally have a team that's going to make it super far and you're just going to fizz out in the ALCS. You were supposed to make it this I'm far. Going to, spo- if they call- lost in the World Series, that's different. But if they're going to get swept by the Astros, you know what? I'm going to take a step back just because of the storyline of this year. But it's it's every year. It's every year with the New York Yankees. They get they get to a spot because the, where they make the a, there's playoffs. A, there is a they get far, they lose, and then it's pathetic that we didn't uh, or they didn't win the World Series. All right. Then now because, because of the story that that aligns with how the season went, how much games they won, and the storyline of having Aaron Judge is season and the season that surrounded the Yankees and doing nothing with it, I will take that argument. All right, so we called this a low-energy Friday. Well, here we go. <laughs> year in and year out, the New York Yankees go on this thing, call what they like to call, like, I don't know, they think they're going to win. And it's because of the front office. They don't want to spend extra money. They don't want to do this. So they make small moves that they try to push onto their fans that are awesome. How many times has Aaron Boone gone to a press conference and gone, IKF is a good shortstop. IKF is this. Dylan Price said it earlier on our talk show. Um, Aaron Boone went to the press conference the other day after the Gold Glove finalists were announced and goes, I believe IKF could be in there. (laughs) How? How? It's because... The reason that every year is pathetic for the New York Yankees is because they continue to push these narratives that they're building winning teams and then continue to try and try and try like they're doing with IKF, like they're doing with Marwin Gonzalez at times, and they're trying to push that the Yankees are good, that they've made their team better, and it never happens. None of this would be frustrating if they would straight up say, yeah, we didn't improve, but they're never going to say that. They go in each year, Brian Cashman, the front office, and just saying Aaron Boone is completely part of that front office because he is just sitting at the managerial spot as a puppet for what Brian Cashman and everyone else wants to do. He has no business being the manager of the New York Yankees. He's only the manager because of the fact that he hit a home run against Boston, I believe, in the 2003 playoff. That is why he is the manager of the New York Yankees at this point, and you cannot tell me otherwise. And he's still there because he does exactly what Cashman wants him to do. He does exactly what Hal Steinbrenner does. The Yankees are the richest um, ownership group in baseball, at least were, and they stopped doing what they used to do under George Steinbrenner, and we've gone over this before. I'm not going to get into it because I wasn't alive during George Steinbrenner's Mm -hmm. era, at least for too long. The Yankees have completely taken what they're known for and thrown it out the window and are trying to stay under that luxury tax, which is basically a salary cap, MLB, how about you fix something? And after that, all I can say is that the Yankees, year in and year out, will continue to say, we're improving, we're improving, we're improving. And they have never improved, and it's the same endless cycle of, we have a great spot to get 28, and they never get 28, and it's going to be another year at least until they get 28 because they're not beating the Astros now, which means they can't win the World Series. Then they're failing to lock up their main star. He should have been locked up by now. You give oh, him he's what gonna, he wants. He's, he's, he's going to walk. walk. He is most likely going to walk, and if he doesn't, then there's got to be something somewhere that— And he still handles the media well. If Aaron Judge doesn't walk, that means there was some promise made behind the scenes that— the Yankees were actually going to finally try to start winning because they haven't been. Uh, Donaldson and IKF being your two offseason acquisitions, horrific. You look at the trade deadline, you settled on number two starting pitcher and Frankie Montas, who got injured and now coming out of the bullpen in the ALCS, 
and letting up runs instead of Luis Castillo, who I know the Mariners are out of the playoffs now. But he but was Luis not the Castillo issue. Luis Castillo was not the issue, and he was the number one starter. You went for Andrew Benintendi. I liked it because the Yankees needed contact hitters. Well, guess what? He got hurt. You got Scott Efforts. He got hurt. The Yankees failed to build winning teams despite telling their fans that they are building winning teams, and that's why it's pathetic. It's not pathetic that they're not winning. It's pathetic in how this organization has been running and been telling its fans and promising better stuff, and it's year in and year out the same exact situation. And now we're going to be talking about for the third time in the last Six or seven years that the Astros are bouncing the Yankees from the playoffs. And what's going to happen? Aaron Judge is going to walk. They're going to make like some trade that they're going to be like, oh, this is huge. This is awesome. And guess what? The Yankees will be in the same spot next year, and it's done. And wait, should add, they don't know how to develop prospects, and then they hug on. They don't trade them when they have the opportunity to for like a Luis Castillo that I just talked about, and then they flunk out. So, this Yankee situation is a disgrace. Judge, before you go, I just want to mention, and it kind of alludes to kind of what Justin was talking about. This isn't the longest streak, I understand, and I wanted to get the number right, without a, a New York Yankees Ward Series because that was 17 seasons between 79 and 95. We are at, I believe, right now, 13? Yes. We sit at 13. However... I would like to say that this streak starting in 2002 is the worst streak of Yankees baseball history because here's the difference and and this is how because you put a World Series in that in the middle of that here's the difference in the 60s and 70s the Yankees were phenomenal in the late 90s to early 2000s the Yankees were phenomenal this is one one outlier year so from from 2002 to 2009, it was always Derek Jeter, and uh, I mean, I, I know he he kind of joined later, but from from 2002 to about 2010, 11 ish, it was Derek Jeter and A Rod are going to take or, or the Fab Four, and A Rod are going to take the Yankees to the promised land. They did it once in the entire decade. They did it once. Then the Fab Four retired. A Rod left, obviously, and. Now you get to a point where you have a new regime. You, I give you that little bit of okay. The excuse was you're you're changing wait, 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 hold up, hold through up. eras. What new regime? The new regime post Derek Jeter to now. The new regime in the, as in the roster or in terms of management? And no, that the, stuff? the roster. Oh, okay. like so, it's not Derek Jeter's team anymore. Right now, it's it's Aaron Judge's. So for the next two games, what well, true. But what, what I'm saying is you had that new regime of, of roster and those those few years in between when Judge was coming into his own and Derek Jeter, Fab Four, Pettit, Posada, A-Rod, Jeter himself, Moe, all retired. The, those are the years that I give you an excuse. Afterwards, you have that first year with Judge, with, with Judge pounding it out. Okay. You get bounced earlier in the playoffs. All right. Now you get to another stint where now you're going after that one. After the one World Series, the outlier in the uh, in the old era of, of the Fab Four, you get that one core chip. Core four. Or core four, sorry. Um, you get that one championship, and then you go mediocre again. So... When you're talking about the worst stint in the team's history being 13 years and then about eight, 
being the worst, it's still a great feat. But but I think that that's also playing into why we think it's the most pathetic because this is the worst 20, 22 years of the team's history. I mean, I, going back to what Justin said, we talked about it. I don't know if we specifically, but everyone in the baseball world was talking about how we would not be surprised if the Yankees failed to make the World Series this year because, once again, their offseason acquisitions made it seem like they were trying to build from within. And the Yankees have never been a team that builds from within. They're not a team that just, you know, they're not a team that tries to have homegrown talent, per se, and make a push. They always go out and they, they're they a big splasher. They should be what they should be doing what the New York Mets are doing and getting these big pieces. Granted, the Mets have historically been worse for the last 20-plus year. 20 plus years but like they're not going to beat a team like the and yes I see the Astros for the most part have been homegrown for the most part I mean Alex Bregman Altuve all those guys their pitching rotation besides Justin Verlander has been essentially themselves but you're not going to beat them unless you go out and you get big name guys trying to get these like little pieces to try and fill out the like the leaks in your lineup when you have massive holes is an issue, and it and it's we're seeing it happen now because Aaron Judge has been terrible this postseason, and mm. no one else is really picking up the slack behind him and Stanton. Uh, I mean, Harrison, a lot of their offense. Harrison, it's Harrison Bader, Harrison Bader should not be leading your team. Mm-hmm. Harrison Bader, I don't want to go back to it, but shouldn't have even been, unless the trade had gone down in different terms, shouldn't have even been on this roster because Jordan, the Yankees need a fifth starter at that point in their season, and they just traded it away. And uh, promoted Domingo Herman to their fifth starter, and that I mean it worked out decently. But yeah, he's making Cashman look smart for once. But other than that, I mean, you look at, I mean, I you can't predict the injuries. But at the end of it, I said it earlier, the reason the Yankees are getting injuries, I mean, there wasn't too many freak accidents for the Yankees this year. It was elbows running out. It was, um, you know, strains coming from running. You know. That comes Clay down Holmes to his, uh, he had the fracture, right? Yes. Yeah, that was that was, that was a little, kind of freak. That was freak. The I fracture was person. freak. Yeah. And like some of them, you know, hit by pitches. I don't think the well, Matt Carpenter was a foul ball, but yeah. a lot of the injuries in the past have been freak. Like Aaron Judge, when everyone says that he's injury prone, it was some freak injuries. Of, um, he got hit up in the wrist by uh, Jacob Junis of Kansas City. Whatever. The point is that Cashman needs to go and hire better medical staff that actually, you know, will take care of them so you're not having these same rundown issues. You know, freak accidents are going to happen here and there, but you have to stop the other injuries from happening, and that's just not been the case for the New York Yankees. And I like what you said, Josh, about the homegrown talent because Houston has basically built their roster from the ground up, and, you know, and then they go out and make a trade that could get them over the hump. Where is that with the Yankees? Oh, they, did it with Trey, they did it with Trey Mancini. I mean, exactly. Gray, he, he hasn't been doing. He hasn't been doing great, but he's right there, and he could easily pop one off sometime. That's the thing. I I trust Trey Mancini more. Well, Grant Andrew Benintendi has been injured, but I trust Trey Mancini. I mean, if you get if you put Frankie, Mon- if you have a pitching, ma- if you have a matchup between Montas and Mancini, I'm taking Mancini nine times out of ten mm-hmm. in that scenario. And that's the thing. the The Astros are just a better run team. They have been. Granted, yes, they cheated. Again, most teams were cheating at that point. They were just the ones that got caught. It's just they did it with technology. Well, they got caught is yeah, the main thing. True. That was that was the thing. 
Because Boston got caught the year. Because Boston got yeah. caught the year after. But even with all that, their roster has consistently been so good and will consistently be good for years to come because they are doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. The Braves are also doing it the right way. Yes, they got knocked out by the Phillies this year, but look at the way the roster is. Their entire roster is locked up for the next five to seven years, and they're all on very friendly team-friendly contracts, and that's a team that's not really going anywhere. The Yankees are a team that just tries to keep throwing things at a wall and see what sticks, and everything runs, and they run out of glue right around October every single year. And Mm -hmm. in five years, you look at some of these contracts, you know, the end of DJ LeMayhew's contract, the end of John Carlos, Garrett Cole's probably a judge extension, though we all want him if he's on the roster. You know, they, the moves they do make is dishing out money to players over, you know, not past their prime, but towards the end of it. And in a few years, if they're not spending money now, they're going to have a tough time building anything on this roster when you have some 35-plus-year-olds making up nearly $200 million of your payroll, which is bound to happen because they went out, traded for Stanton, signed Garrett Cole to a lot. Um, DJ LeMay, who is making more money as his contract goes on, even though he's going to be getting older and slowing down. Josh Donaldson makes $25 million next year on this team. What did what has he done this year to deserve $25 million? Nothing. He provided, I think, 11 home runs. It's just brutal. And um, I think that's the only – that's it for me. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm on the same belt too. I understand before we go because we are running a little – uh, heavy on time. It's obviously we're on the same page that the Astros are winning this this series and then moving on without explanation because we'll probably get into who actually won. Or, or you could give a sentence on who's going to win the Padres Phillies. And Justin, what's we'll over you? Um, coming into the series, I would have said the Phillies, but um, it's gonna be the Padres. I was under the same thinking. <sighs> It's hard. My it changes every game for me because the Phillies have the magic, but the Padres I just think top to bottom are a better team. And the thing is, there's a handful of guys on this Padres team that are still underperforming and they're still managing. I mean, there's a very good chance that they go advance and they make it to the World Series. And I think once they get there, they've given themselves obviously the chance to win. Anytime that you're competing at the final stage, you've given yourself a shot to go and get yourself a title. But I'm kind of on Chevy's side. I think I'm still leaning with the uh, the Padres, but it, it changes from game to game. You really never know. And like I, you know, we, but we both mentioned it. Anytime that you're in a postseason game, at this stage of the postseason, those teams they're great teams, top to bottom, well coached usually. And one mistake is all it could be to uh, to end it like that. So, gonna be some good games. No, uh, no doubt about that. I don't think that any of these games are going to be blowouts because you've got some really good teams fighting for their seasons. I'd think that some low-scoring, close games are definitely uh, in a, in the future. I mean, look, if you had asked me this question after game one and after four and a half innings of or five and a half innings, or, no, four and a half innings. Of game two, I would have said the Phillies all the way, but after that collapse they had in game two. Collapse might have deflated them. The yep. collapse might have deflated them. Yes, they're back at they're back in Philly for the next two games, but I don't know, blowing a lead like that is 
I mean, it's tough to come back from, especially when, you know, it all comes down to, you know, like it's it's those little things like we mentioned before. It's those one must it's one mistake that could change it. And mm-hmm. I think the trajectory of the series has changed. I'll stick with the theme. I'll go Padres. Mm-hmm. Well, looks like it's all Padres Astros for the series. And we'll Astros we'll, are winning it all. There's no yeah. there's I've that's. already said we'll whoever wins the American League series, even if the Yankees come back and manage to win it which isn't going to happen. But even if it were, whoever wins the American League Series is winning the World mm-hmm. Series. So, Yep. Well, we'll talk about that next week as probably the World most series will likely be this, the, it will be decided. At um, least one team will. Well, yep. And uh, I think that's where we'll leave it if uh, Chevy would like to give us his famous SIG out. For Joe Callahan Jr., Josh Bartosik, and Grant Sheets, I'm Justin Chevalella signing off for Phone Booth. Same time, same place, at least for us, next week right here on Com Radio. Thank you all for listening.